You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mission Lab. So glad that you have joined me again, once again. I'm happy today to have another good friend of mine on the show with me. And uh, his name is Michael Brown. Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Hey, this is awesome. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll tell a little bit about Mike, who you are, uh, and then I'll invite you to tell everybody who they who who you are. Uh, but you know, Mike, we've known each other for man, it's all, it's been a decade now because uh, wow. we just celebrated <laughs> we just celebrated in January ten years since we moved to Bangor. And oh, so, Mike, yeah, just as as we were arriving, Mike, you were uh, coming kind of back into the church. Uh, yeah. And obviously you're going to tell a little bit about that. And then I had the privilege of baptizing you that mm. first summer after we moved to Bangor. It was really awesome. You were a student at University of Maine. Um, you're, you grew up in this Bangor area. And um, I'm, I'm not meaning to give your whole life story before you do, but just <laughs> no, given no. A, a quick overview. Eventually you came into leadership with our church. It was so awesome and refreshing. I, looking back, really regret that we did not utilize your gifts more than we did. Uh, and then, and then you, you moved on to other greener pastures and, uh, <laughs> I've been bothering you to come back ever since. That's, that's almost and, true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so with all that said, Mike, where, where just quickly before we kind of tackle, uh, kind of what came before and then what comes after. Where are you literally right now? What are you doing with life? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> uh, my wife, Brittany, and I uh, are living in Stanwood, Washington right now, which is a little bit uh, north of Seattle. And uh, we actually have just spent um, the last four or five months kind of on a little bit of a uh, what has felt like an Abraham and Sarah journey to us. Uh, not really knowing where God wanted us or where we needed to go, but, you know, clearly hearing his voice calling us out from where we were. And uh, <clears throat> we literally spent from August 21st to December 21st uh, traveling the country to visit our family in a fifth wheel trailer. And we drove from Washington State to Maine, down to Florida, back over to Southern California, and then back up to Washington. So. Wow. Uh, pretty epic That's journey. That's a lot of miles. That's a lot of miles. Yeah. <laughs> it was about 10,000 <laughs> miles, you know, all together. Um, wow. <clears throat> but uh, it's been a really cool uh, just faith journey for us and just seeing the Lord stripping away stuff that, you know, is holding us back and uh, just recently brought us uh, to a little church in Stanwood, Washington that... Um, uh, we just feel impressed that God's asking us to put down roots for a while and just invest here and, and, uh, you know, pray and, and watch the Holy spirit work and just expand the kingdom of God. Um, 
And so that's that's where we're at right now. And and uh, we're excited about the new step in the journey, but it also is pretty scary because um, it's it's very God sized. It's you know what we're looking at in terms of challenges with the church and and uh, you know and stuff like that. It's like whoa, okay, Lord, you know this is not greener pasture, at least in human wisdom. <laughs> um, but uh, you know what? God creates green pasture. And so he just mm. needs people that are willing to to be filled with the fullness of who he is, um, you know. Mm. And so that's mm. that's what we want. Yeah. How how big of a church is it? Well, church building I think could hold probably about two hundred and fifty in attendance, um, but right mm. now there's probably about ten people that are in attendance. Mm. Mm. And that's and, uh, COVID related, or just kind of the way it was even <clears throat> before COVID. Um, some of it's COVID related, uh, but a big portion of it is that the church has just went through a, a really difficult conflict um, with one of the uh, members, one of the families in the church, and they had mm. a business meeting. They were looking at uh, the board was proposing some, some church discipline. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the business meeting went backwards and the church actually voted against the discipline. And mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. sounds like it turned into quite a mudslinging fest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and unfortunately mm-hmm. a lot of people were hurt as a result of mm-hmm. that. And, mm-hmm. you know, good people left and, and people that maybe weren't, you know, quite as uh, positive left. And so kind of just left the church with just a, a core group of people, you know, that are pretty hurting and, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of shell-shocked from the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they seem hungry and sincere, and and I think they're wanting to move forward in the mission of Christ. Yeah, so, yeah. That's... You know, it's, you know what it's yeah, like. That, church, that... church can be one of the hardest places in the world to be. Yeah, yeah, man, you're, you said it. And we'll obviously get into that a little <laughs> bit um, in general, but. I wish um... we could skip it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, so just for our listeners, it sounds like if someone's listening, they're they're now come to the conclusion that you're a pastor. Oh no, is that what's going on? <laughs> no, not really. You know, I think I think that I have some of the pastoral gifts, but uh, you know, um, I'm not a pastor, at least not um, you know not working as a pastor or ordained as a pastor, but. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know, God has has uh, revealed His love to me in a really special way, and I think that it has helped give me a capacity to see the value in others and to love them. And um, you know, that's that's where I want to be investing my life. You know, I, I also work my day job. I guess you could say is uh, in real estate investing. Um, but uh, that just provides the income for me to be able to invest the rest of my time in, in the Church of Christ, you know, the body of Christ, mm, mm, you know, because yeah, that's where God's invested. So, you know, God's yeah. pretty smart. He's the best investor I know. And if he's <laughs> invested in the body, then that's where I want to be, too. Mm, mm, mm. Well, my listeners are no doubt going to quickly understand why I like you so much, Mike, because you're just such a awesome, passionate, inspirational guy. And um, like I said, we moved here to Bangor kind of right at the, I don't want to say the tail end because it was really just the beginning, but it was kind of the tail end of your journey back into faith. And we, we Mm. just became the awesome 
recipients of, of God's work in your life in that regard. Maybe you'd be willing, I know you probably shared the story a thousand times, <laughs> uh, but there's no doubt a few more people in this world who haven't heard it before. Um, just tell us a little bit, what was your journey into faith, out of faith, back into it, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, just tell, tell us about that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, just praying that the Lord will help me to summarize this in the, the short version, but include the helpful <laughs> points. <laughs> um, take your time. Take your time. Yeah. So, you know, I, I grew up, you know, with some religious influence in my life. You know, my, my awesome parents um, are both people of faith. Uh, my mom grew up Catholic. Uh, my dad was uh, became a Seventh-day Adventist in his early 20s. And so, you know, growing up, you know, I was part of the, the uh, attending an Adventist church until I was probably, you know, seven or eight years old. And then uh, attending another church for a while until I was probably about 13. So I definitely grew up with some religious influence. Um, and uh and background in in christian religion um <clears throat> but i would say that you know overall i i'm not sure I, I know as a as a young child probably before the age eight you know that um, my heart was really open you know i i believed in god and i i really had a tender uh and really beautiful childlike faith and relationship to God at that point. Mm, but, mm. you know, around age eight, I got pretty discouraged um, with, uh, with faith. And I just, um, I ended up, I'm not sure where I got all the messaging from that I did, but I ended up really coming to the point of believing that I essentially had to be perfect in order for God to accept me. Mm -hmm. And if I was perfect, then God would accept me and he'd bring me to heaven someday. But I realized really early on that I wasn't perfect. You know, I had a very tender <laughs> conscience and, and a somewhat rebellious heart. You know, I always found myself every once in a while doing something I knew wasn't right. And, uh, and so with my belief about God being the way that it was, you know, I finally got to the point where I just felt hopeless. And I felt like, you know what? God's just not going to be able to accept me. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so why should I bother trying to be acceptable when I know I'm not going to make it? You know, mm -hmm. I would be better off to stop trying so hard and stop failing so much and do something else that looks like it would bring some peace or some happiness in my life. Mm. And, uh, and so that's kind of how my journey started off, um, ended up, uh, you know, just getting involved with kind of the wrong crowds, you know, the easy people to be accepted was with, and I wasn't necessarily a, a high performer in life, uh, you know, and I was afraid of failure. So I didn't try and become, you know, part of the, the crowd that, you know, does really good in school or, you know, keeps up the, the really good image to everybody. Um, I just decided to join kind of the rebellious crowd. I figured I could, I could consistently be rebellious. I, and, uh, and if they would accept me for that, then, yeah. you know, that was a, a great image or a great identity, uh, to start to build. Hmm. And, um, and so that's kind of, you know, kind of journeyed off into that. Um, 
<clears throat> I think by the time I was in high school, I was, you know, pretty well addicted to, to drugs and, um, you know, just, just really, uh, trying to just find some acceptance, uh, in the people around me. And, uh, and so kind of journeyed through high school, uh, with that whole rebellious teen drug motif and, uh, ended up, uh, in my early twenties, really, really kind of falling off the deep end, got really hard into, to narcotics and, and other drugs. And, um, at that point I kind of had uh, I guess some people call it a come to Jesus moment. I call it, I completely blew up my life and thought it was over moment. Uh, and I was, I was looking at, um, some prison time for drug trafficking. And, uh, I just felt like everything, uh, fell apart all at once. And it's mm-hmm. cool though, because, you know, all throughout my, my experience as a teen and kind of my journey away from God, um, you know, there are little moments that I could see where God was still trying to woo me, still trying to draw me back, you know, giving me opportunities, you know, speaking to me as a son and, and mm-hmm. saying, you know, Michael, you know, don't go that way. Um, you know, that's that's not going to work out well, you know, come back to me. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, again, the way that I saw God, it was just, you know, I felt like I had to be good enough to be accepted. And, uh, mm. and I just didn't feel like, uh, that was going to be able to happen. So early twenties life kind of blows up and, uh, I end up in a, uh, residential recovery program for drug and alcohol addiction. And it happened to be a faith-based program, uh, kind of a miracle that I even ended up in that, that situation because I was totally opposed to any kind of faith-based recovery, uh, mm. or rehab. But it was the one that was open. It was the one that was willing to take me. And I knew I needed to go somewhere or, you know, I was going to end up in prison, um, you know, because of my addiction. So so I kind of felt like I got forced into it, you know, in some ways. But it was also my choice in some ways. And so I uh, entered into this faith-based recovery program. And I just, you know, I don't know how to fully explain it, Sean, but I had an encounter with Jesus in the first few days that I was there that destroyed the lies that I believed about God Mm. and changed the direction of my heart 180 degrees. Mm. And it, I went from being, um, from feeling like a worthless, um, you know, a worthless, defective, you know, piece of junk Hmm. to realizing that I was a valued, precious son in the sight of God and that he had a plan for my life. And that even though I had blown up everything, that he was able to restore it and make it good. Hmm. Hmm. And as my perspective on who God was and how he felt towards me changed, my heart changed completely. You know, the the why for my life changed, you know, and it was like, I began to wake up with a purpose and it was to be in relationship with the one who loved me, you know, the best that I'd ever been loved before. Mm. And, uh, and that just changed everything. Mm. (laughs) And I think, I think that is what changes, changes people, you know, is when, 
when your value gets restored, when you realize that nothing you can do and nothing you've done, you know, has any impact on your value at all. Um, but that who he is and what he made you to be is the thing that defines your value and that he thinks you're amazing. Mm. You know, no matter what you've been mm. through, no matter what you've done, he thinks you're amazing because he knows what you made, he made you to be. Um, that, that changes stuff for people and it changed me. And, uh, and that was kind of my journey back into Christianity. Now, at that point, you know, that recovery program was part of um, kind of charismatic movement and like a mm -hmm. Pentecostal mm -hmm. background. So I came into faith, um, you know, in a Pentecostal background. And, and at that point, you know, I left the church so early. I was about 13 years old when I stopped going to church. So I didn't really, I didn't really know much doctrinally. You know, I didn't really understand the Bible. Um, but all I knew is, is that I had an encounter with Jesus at that point. And, uh, and he changed, you know, everything. He changed the, the perspective from which I lived. Uh, just in a few short days. And mm. I got, I became crazy for Jesus. <laughs> I didn't know anything, but I was crazy yeah. about him, you know? Yeah. And it was like, I realized he was crazy about me and it was awesome. <laughs> mm. And uh, and so, you know, I spent almost two years in that recovery program. You know, I went, I just, God just shaped me and formed me there. It was like an incubator spiritually. You know, just mm. changed my character, let me go through some mm. really hard stuff. But the Holy Spirit was just right there to just father me and, and teach me and grow me through it. And just, you know, dealt with a lot of, lot of years of character defects and, and just kind of cultivated, you know, stuff in my life. And so you got to meet me as I'm coming out of that, <laughs> you know, starting to consider uh, the Seventh-day Adventist church again and, and. <clears throat> you know, kind of right at the, you know, in some ways, maybe the peak of that born again experience. And mm -hmm. um, so I don't know, I rambled a lot, but no, it is, was, there, is there anything else I should share about that, that? Oh, man, no, that was, that was powerful. And I've, I've heard your story, obviously, a number of times before, but e each time it just moves me. And um, <laughs> it's a little it, different it each time. <laughs> Oh yeah, but I mean it's it's so powerful. And you know, one of the other pieces that you know we talk quite a bit around these parts about is you know the effect they had on your mother and yeah, how <laughs> true. She she had kind of given up on the religion thing too, and then when she saw what Christ had done in your life, it, it totally. Yeah. totally blew her away, right? <laughs> yeah, it did. You know, that I think that's one of the sweetest things is that, you know, my mom and me, you know, we've really gotten to grow up in Jesus together, you know, because mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was the manifestation of God's mercy in my life, you know, and the transformation that he began in my heart that, that my mother saw and she said, that's what I've been looking for my whole mm. life. And mm. I've never seen, you know, even though I've been in the church most of my life, mm. you know, she, she knew there was something real. There was, there was something more authentic, intimate, and powerful that you could have with Jesus. But she didn't have anybody in her life to be able to model it to her 
or to show her the path of how to get there. Mm. And so when she sees her drug addict son, you know, go from being out of his mind to uh, being out of his mind for Jesus in just less than a week, <laughs> yeah, you know, and she got to see that transformation happen over almost a two-year period of time. Just every time my parents would come to visit, just seeing Jesus, you know, just being revealed and manifested in my life and in my heart, hmm. you know, to none of my own credit. You know, I'm just realizing his incredible yeah. love. Um, you know, she saw that and she said, you know what, God? I want that. And hmm. I, I need you to show me, you know, how it is, you know, how can I have that? And so God just started to speak to her. Holy Spirit just started to impress her, you know, in her heart and mind about some things in her life that she had, that she was making God, you know, and that mm -hmm. were taking the place that God wanted to fill in her life. And, you know, it just brings me to tears to think about it, you know, because she mm. saw something sweeter that Jesus was doing for me than the addictions she had in her own life. And I say addictions, you know, kind of very broadly, you know, she wasn't yeah. into drugs or alcohol or anything like that, but anything we use to, 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 to take the place that Jesus wants to take in our life is a, is an addiction mm -hmm. uh, in my mind. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, is like when she saw the beauty of, of Jesus in my life, she said, you know what, God, that's better than any addiction I could have. And so when the Holy Spirit brought to her heart the things that, um, that were standing in the way, um, you know, she said, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I want <laughs> Jesus more, mm. you know. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, she's become a powerful woman of God. Oh, man. Um, I oh, just, absolutely. I talk to her and she just encourages my heart. And I just, mm -hmm. I'm like, man, my mom is so amazing. <laughs> oh, she is, man. And we are so <laughs> blessed by her she's she's now an elder at our church you know she's been That's awesome she's been so influential and encouraging in our whole restart with our church and you know she's one of the biggest advocates of of what i would call like i think what i hear you saying is like authentic christianity right like the yeah. real thing relational being real with one another you know selling out to God's love. It's just, mm -hmm. yeah, man, such a blessing. So thank you, Mike, for being so instrumental <laughs> in that. Well, you know, we just all point back to Jesus because, yeah. I mean, and I don't say that in a cliche way. I mean, mm -hmm. man, when we, when we start to believe and we start to see God's love in the way that he intends for us to see it, mm -hmm. it's transformative. You know, if, you know, grace without transformation is perversion, mm. you know, God's grace came to restore us back to what he, what he made us to be in the beginning, you mm. know, mm. and I preach a sermon yeah. right now on it, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to talk to you and, you know, one of the, the main reasons why I want to have you on, and of course, I just love catching up with you as well, um, but shame is a very yeah. is a very destructive force in people's lives and and I, I've heard you talk a lot about kind of like shame based 
religion, shame-based messaging. Um, yeah. What, what kind of role did shame have in your life prior to kind of coming back to faith? How do you see it kind of manifesting within Christian context now? I don't know, what, mm. do you, what do you think about that, Mike? Well, yeah, you know, shame definitely played a big, a big role in my life. And I, w- I would say that shame defined me prior mm. to Christ. Mm-hmm. It defined me, you know, because my my understanding of shame is that, <clears throat> you know, shame says that that there's something inherently defective with mm-hmm. who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it is a uh, an assault against my value, and mm-hmm. it essentially says, you know, that I like the <clears throat> the saying that. Uh, uh, I think I think this is how it goes. I think they say that guilt says I did something wrong, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. shame says I am something wrong. Mm-hmm. So so shame attacks our very identity and says, you know what, you're worthless. You know, you're never going to get it right. You're always going to be broken. You're mm-hmm. always going to be defective. Yeah, you're so never going to quite measure up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so as a kid, you know, unfortunately, you know, I had some shamed, uh, some shame messaging in my home. Um, you know, it was, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, my, my mom grew up in a home where shame was used, uh, as a parenting skill. Mm. Um, you know, of course they say skill lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it is, you know, when you don't know how to parent well, you know, you don't know how to, uh, reason with your children or whatever it is. And I don't say this from a place of having children, so take it with a grain <laughs> of salt. But but shame is a great way to manipulate people's behavior mm. because shame induces um, <clears throat> a desire to, to not feel the shame anymore. You know, it, it <laughs> desires to, to get it off of you. So anything you can do to avoid shame you know, oftentimes we'll do. So, you know, when, when I was a kid and I wouldn't, my mom would ask me a dozen times to, you know, pick up my dirty socks off the floor. And I would say, yeah, mom, I'll do that in a little bit. And I would forget a dozen times, you know, eventually she'd just be driven to the point of feeling, you know, disrespected and unloved and not cared about, not appreciated, Mm -hmm. you know, and out of that, oftentimes there would be a shame message that would come, you know, Mm. I don't remember exactly what that looked like, but it might have sounded something like, you know, Michael, what's wrong with you? You know, why can't you just pick up your clothes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, some, something to that effect. And so, yeah. so at a very early age, you know, I started to experience, um, you know, some of those shame messages. And of course, you know, that kind of attacks at your identity. And I think I experienced that in the church. You know, I remember having experiences with, um, you know, as a child or a young teen, um, you know, having uh, leaders in the church that maybe didn't approve of my behavior come up to me and and say things um, uh, to the effect of, you know, there there's something wrong with you or, mm-hmm. you know, you should be ashamed of yourself, mm. uh, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Little things like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, because because they wanted to correct your behavior. You know, I'm not sure that that their desire was wrong. Their motive might have been wrong. Yeah. Um, their delivery might have been wrong. 
Uh, maybe they were embarrassed. You know, that yeah. that happens sometimes, right? Where I'm embarrassed by somebody else's behavior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I try and correct their behavior by making them feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and there are some things that I think that, um, that our conscience should be bothered by, you know, that we should feel conviction in. Uh, but I think one of the things I've, I've realized even lately on my journey is that there's a difference between conviction and shame. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. conviction tells me this is not who you are. This yeah. behavior does yeah, not yeah, belong yeah. in your life. You are so much more than this. It mm-hmm. calls you to a higher plane through establishing your value. Mm-hmm. Whereas shame says, what, there must be something wrong with you if you're doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you, you must have a lower value because of your behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so I think anytime that we diminish somebody's value, uh, that's shame. You know, whenever we look at somebody and we think, oh, my word, you know, why can't they just get it together? They are such a mess. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're evaluating them in our human wisdom and saying, you know, they're not very valuable because they're not performing well. Mm-hmm. And so I think mm-hmm. in a religious context, you know, what we see the most is we see a performance based thinking, mm-hmm. which is if you do well, then you are well. You know, mm-hmm. you are good. You are valuable. Mm-hmm. When you are not performing well, <clears throat> you know, you're not valuable. And it calls into question, you know, your entire identity, your entire value system. Um, and so in general terms, I think that's where I see in a religious context that that it's easy to get off base. Yeah. Um, and and I, I so I think. What I've noticed is that, and I, you know, I try to guard against this in my own parenting, but when, whether it's an, as a parent, whether as it's a fellow church member, whatever it is, um, anytime we label somebody where we're describing who they are, right? It's one thing to say, hey, that behavior is inappropriate. It's another thing to say, you're such a whiner. You are a liar. You are. So now that becomes their identity, right? Yes. I love that. When we start labeling people as their behaviors. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh man. That's, I love that. That's a really really good. Yeah. But we do it because like, kind of like you're getting at, most of us are doing the best we can, right? We're, (laughs) we're trying it like, yeah. We're doing whatever it was that was done to us, but mostly. Right. Is it, would you say yeah. that's pretty accurate? I would say, yeah, for the most part. I mean, we're, we're either doing the best that we can with what we've been given um, or, or we're not too worried about doing our best because we've created a false identity around not having to do well. Okay. And so we actually, we actually fail on purpose. Break that down a little bit more. Why would I fail? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, (laughs) um, so, so if my identity is tied to my performance in any way, Mm -hmm. and I say, you know what, if I fail, you know, if I try something, if I try to be a good person today and I fail, I'm going to feel really bad about myself. But if I don't try, 
mm-hmm. then I can't fail. Mm-hmm. And so I have nothing bad to feel about, mm-hmm. you know, nothing to feel bad about. Yeah, yeah. And so I live most of my life that way because I, I just learned that I was a failure mm-hmm. and I could and I would consistently fail at trying to do the right. Mm-hmm. So why would I keep trying to do the right and keep feeling bad about it when I could just aim a lot lower mm-hmm. and just say, you know what, I'm just going to do the wrong thing hmm. because I know I can consistently do the wrong thing and I don't have to feel bad about not reaching the high mark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an inverted way to live, but a lot of people live like that today. You know, I'm just not going to try anything. I got a great friend here that, you know, that, you know, that's how he feels about life is, you know, I'm just not going to aspire to much Mm -hmm. because what if I failed? You know, what if I tried to do something out of my comfort zone? What if I tried to, you know, really go somewhere in life and then I failed? What would that prove about me? Well, it would prove that I'm worthless, defective, no good. And I'm never going to amount to anything, which I already kind of believe in my heart. So if I proved it, it would just destroy me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just not going to go down that road because I don't want to accidentally prove what I already think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Does that no, make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot. No, it makes total sense. And I think um, like what I've realized and see if see if this is heretical, Mike. Tell me this is heretical, brother. I need to be straight. <laughs> Um, but as a way to kind of come to a place where I didn't have as much shame, although it's always a journey, it's always a battle. I realized that God actually gives me permission to be imperfect. Would you, you think that's a heretical thing to say, Mike, you tell me. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't call it heretical. Um, I think I would add to it that you already are perfect. Okay. Uh, All right. in, in Christ. Yeah. And so, you know, on your darkest day of what you see as imperfection, God sees, you know, what he created you for. Mm-hmm. He sees the potential he put in you. He sees your destiny and your purpose according to his plan. Mm-hmm. And, and he knows that you are on that journey of faith. And so, you know, so even in the midst of what looks like human imperfection, you know, God isn't seeing that. He's not seeing kind of the journey. He's seeing the end. Ah, He's seeing what you, what you have attained in the future and not yeah. through, you know, anything that you've done, but because, because of who he is. And yeah. because as you receive and accept him more and you believe more about what he says about you, mm-hmm. you get transformed, you become different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, so he's got you on that journey. <clears throat> And he mm-hmm. already knows, like, you're a child of God and you look just like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're just growing up into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we don't get mad at our kids for not being able to ride a bicycle when they're one, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because they're they're imperfect in the sense they're not fully mature, but they are perfect in the sense that they're on the journey of maturity yes. Yes. and they're right where they're supposed to be in that journey. Yes, 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 absolutely. That And that's... You, you, and I know you believe like, that too. Yeah, you so explain that beautifully. I, it, it reminds me of what is said in the recovery community. It's about progress, not perfection. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like you're, yep. you're, you're getting, you're growing, you're maturing the journey, like you're perfect and yet not perfect. And I've used the same yeah. analogy that if I didn't allow my children to, to fall when they're learning to walk, they yeah. would never learn to walk. Because 
they just would stop trying. They'd be like, okay, if my yeah. dad yells at me every single time that I fall down, I'm mm. just going to sit on my bottom and never try, right? Right. And that's, and man, that's what a lot of us are doing today because that's what we feel like life has given us. You know, mm. is every time we've tried, mm -hmm. you know, we've gotten yelled at. And so, you know mm. what? I'm just going to give up. You know, I'm not going to try anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's you know, tragic. It is tragic, you know, because, you know, the one who made us is not yelling at us, mm. you know, but but there's one who is our enemy, mm. you know, who is trying to assault us. He's trying to accuse us day and night. And he's trying to keep us stuck in those those lies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and my journey has just been honestly coming out of the lies into the truth. And mm. listening to the one who matters over the one who tries to speak loudest. Mm. 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 That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, you, I mean, kind of wrapped tied up into this is, you know, the importance of recovery. And um, if I, mm. if I might, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot here or betray confidences, but I remember a few <laughs> years ago. My life's pretty open, so go yeah, for it. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. Years ago, uh, you, after you had moved away from Bangor, you had texted me or called me up and said, Hey, can we get together? And yeah. I said, yeah, sure. So I don't remember <laughs> you told me what it was about. I was just like, okay, this is kind of weird. You're living a couple hours away now. Uh, so we met at Bagel Central and you're like, I'm going through the 12 steps and I need to apologize to you. And I'm just like, mm. huh? you need to apologize to me? <laughs> and uh, going through your, you were doing your personal inventory work and you were making amends, um, yeah. which I think, it, you know, is awesome. I'm actually starting those things myself. I know what that was all about. Talk to talk to if you would. I'm kind of throwing your curveball here, but recovery, 12 steps. How does that tie into shame to mm. discipleship? Break that down a little bit. Wow. Ooh, that's a big question, Sean. <laughs> I didn't give it to you at a time. You, I know you didn't. <laughs> you, uh, you sure know how to put up the zingers. And you can um, say no comment. Like, you can say that, brother. No comment. Yeah, no, it's too good to not comment on. I'm just <laughs> need the Holy Spirit to to help me. Um, man, you know, you know, re if we really get down to just the 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 base of recovery. Recovery is about living according to spiritual principles. Hmm. Uh, it's taking the Bible and not just reading it and saying, oh, that was a beautiful passage. It's saying, okay, I read this beautiful passage and man, you know, it, it says some hard stuff here. Like, uh, you know, if I come to the altar to worship and I, I realize that you know, my brother has something against me yeah. Um, yeah. that I need to go reconcile with my brother uh, before I come to worship God, because to worship God when I have animosity in my heart or or I'm leaving a relationship, a human relationship, you know, broken is a lie because God is relationship. He's all about relationship. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not living love and I come to the God of love and I say, God, I want to worship you. Mm. He says, well, why don't you go live love? That is worshiping me mm, you know mm. that's 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 my glory being revealed on earth 
Mm. And so, you know, don't come to the God of love and say, oh, I want, I want to worship you. I want to perform this act of worship mm -hmm. uh, when in your heart, you know, you know, you're not, uh, you're not living by the principles of who I am. You're not reconciled to your brother. You're not reconciled to your brother. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's what recovery is all about is it's, it's, you know, I would say it's three pieces. It's being reconciled to God, you know, mm -hmm. which if you're a Christian, we're talking about justification, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's being reconciled to yourself, Mm. which, mm -hmm. you know, I would say is talking about our identity. Okay, mm -hmm. God, I believe that I am who you say I am. Mm -hmm. And then when you're reconciled to yourself, when you see yourself clear, when you see your preciousness before God and you recognize your own value and you're living in a place of relationship with God from mm -hmm. that value, mm -hmm. then you finally can see the value of others. Mm-hmm. You know, but the Bible tells us, you know, love your brother, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, right? If you don't see yourself clear, if you can't love yourself, if you don't see the inherent value God has given you, and that's not where your identity springs from, you mm -hmm. can't love your brother because you're always going to judge them according to their performance. Because mm, you're, because you are feeling the judgment against yourself. Because you're judging, your exactly, because you're judging yourself according to your performance. Mm -hmm. And so... You're either going to feel like you're better than people because you're doing better than they are, or you're going to compare yourself to others who look like they're doing better than you, and you're going to feel like you're you're not doing okay and you're worthless, you know, mm -hmm. you're defective, you're not good enough. And so that's what recovery is all about. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to who God says you are, and then be reconciled to your brother. Mm. And that's the gospel in a, in a nutshell. God's reconciliation working through, you know, through all people throughout the whole earth to bring us to to all look like Jesus, you know, where mm -hmm. we're living lives of self-sacrificing love to each other, mm -hmm. you know. And so I'd say that's what recovery is all about in my mind. You know, 12 steps just happens to be a really cool breakdown of those spiritual principles that can take you step by step through that that heart journey. Mm -hmm. And um, I forgot the second third part of your question. <laughs> I did as well. So don't worry about oh. it. <laughs> but uh, but I, yeah, you, so you know my you you asked oh you asked yeah, me no, a little you, bit about that you uh the, you answered it adequately is what i'm getting at mike you did oh, i did job. okay <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but so you know i just you know when i came to you you know those those few years ago or whatever it was um yeah that's right you know i i as i was doing my work uh of recognizing all the places that i had been living in fear or that i've been living in resentment in my heart that i've been holding on to stuff mm. um you know I, I found that I had, I had made some wrongs, you know, toward you. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible would tell us, go be reconciled to your brother, you mm -hmm. know, go make it right. Not for your sake, you know, I'm saying not for my sake. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's not, you know, we go and be reconciled in hopes that it will be a benefit to the one that we've hurt. Mm-hmm not selfishly. You know, I don't, I don't go and, and share that stuff with people because it's going to make me feel better. Mm -hmm. You know, 
I go and do it because hopefully, you know, it will bring some benefit to, to the other person. And if it, and if it clearly won't bring benefit or if it would clearly hurt them, then we don't do it, Mm, you know, because the goal is not to do more damage. It's to, it's to undo damage, you know, it's to bring healing. It's to make reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, man, if, if, if God's people, you know, I say this, you know, across all denominations and, and all the world and all religions, if people that were really responding or claim to be responding to, to God's principles in their lives um, would take that seriously mm. and would go right those wrongs, mm-hmm. um, our world would be a different place. Ah, man, you absolutely. Know? Yeah. It, it turned, a light was turned on for me a few years ago. And I'm going to get a little theological here within an Adventist context. And I know not all of my listeners are Seventh-day Adventists, but um, right. we, we have this, this teaching called, quote unquote, the investigative judgment. And mm. there's a lot of people who struggle with that teaching. And I understand why, because it's been presented kind of to what you're talking about in a very shame-based way, you know, a yeah. very legalistic, fear-driven, fear-driven yeah. way. And so as I was talking to a few other few people, they were like, we don't believe in this teaching. And I was, and and, you know, it was um, understandable, but then it was the funniest thing happened a few minutes later. The same person was telling me that they were doing the 12 steps and Ah. they had come to the place (laughs) of doing, you know, a searching and fearless inventory of themselves and that they were trying to make amends. And I suddenly stopped. I said, so you do believe in the, in the investigative judgment? <laughs> so I, they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, this is what the teaching is. This is what it's all about. And and many people have have thought of it in, in terms of, yeah, like we got to get right with God so he can be happy with us or he can check the box mm. off. And it's really about doing a, a deep searching of our own hearts and trying to make amends where we have wronged people so that we can be reconciled to our brothers. So I, I suddenly realized that like the 12 steps are the practical outworking of the investigative judgment. What do you think, Mike? Yeah. I mean, the investigative judgment is, is all about God coming in and removing, Mm. you know, everything that's not about him, you know, Mm -hmm. which if he's love, Mm-hmm. And he removes everything from us that's not love and then replaces it with love. Like, that's mm. pretty good news. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's like, you know, I just, yeah, I, I think that uh, I think you're onto something there. Well, I've uh, been running with that a little bit in the last few years. Haven't haven't really public, publicized it far and wide, but it's just something I've been <laughs> chewing on. But. So what yeah. do you think we're, we're going to wrap it up here, Mike? It's been so really, really good. Um, how do we, I mean, you kind of alluded to it or, or mentioned it, but just in summary, how do we move in our mission, our, in our discipleship, in our, in our uh, pursuit of community together? How do we move from shame-based messaging to, I would say, gospel-based messaging? Mm. Man, I, I, 
you know, I think, I, I'm not sure I have a good answer for that, but I really honestly believe that it, it comes back to believing what the gospel says about me mm. so that I can believe what the gospel says about you. Mm. That's good. And, and I'll tell you what, I think that you can know when you're beginning to believe what the gospel says about you, because, uh, you know, animosity and discouragement and anxiety and all these things that control our lives mm -hmm. will start to disappear. And we will mm. think more mm. about what God is saying than about what other people are saying. You know, I just used this example the other day. You know, I, I really believe in my heart you know, that most of us have been taught by the world what to believe and how to think about people and how to see our value and see their value. So when somebody disrespects me or when somebody uh, mm -hmm. does something that's unkind or they do something, you know, that, that you know, is negative, you know, I, I have a choice when that time comes. You know, I can say, Oh my word, you know, I didn't deserve that. I can't believe that person did that to me, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I can start to feel disrespected. I can start to feel um unloved. You mm -hmm. know, I can let that define me. I can become a disrespected, you know, unloved person mm -hmm. because humanity failed me. Mm -hmm. Or I can realize that that person is living out of their brokenness mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that they don't have anything else to give. Mm-hmm. You know, because they, they don't know the truth about themselves. So they're living in a state of delusion and deception. Mm. And God says that he does respect me. Mm. God says he does love me. I am accepted. I don't have to be, I don't have to try to be acceptable. I'm accepted. Mm. I'm already in. Mm. You know, if the, if the creator of the universe values me, respects me, honors me, cherishes me, and knows my purpose and my destiny and believes in me, then I'm not going to let somebody that is in delusion and deception start to define who I am. Mm, that's good. I'm going to let him define who I am. Yeah. I'm going to listen to what he has to say. You know, like if you went into an insane asylum, mm -hmm. you wouldn't expect people in an insane asylum to see you correctly, <laughs> right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't put much weight on what they were thinking or saying about you. Hmm. Mm. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So why do I go into the insanity of this world mm. and listen to what people are saying here when I know that they don't know what they're talking about? Mm. 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 Yeah. You know, I don't say that in a disrespectful way. I just say yeah. if they don't see their value, they're never going to be able to see mine. Yeah. So why would I listen to them about yeah. who I am? Yeah. At, at the same time, it also frees you to be able to solicit and listen to honest, genuine feedback, and it doesn't threaten yes. your identity, right? That's right. You don't become threatened. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right, because your identity isn't tied up. Your value isn't tied up in what people are thinking about you. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to get offended when somebody says something to you. Mm -hmm. You know, when they're when they're honest with you, you know, you can be secure already in your identity and you don't have to get tipped upside down, so to speak, 
you know, by, by somebody challenging it. And, you know, we see this in the Bible, you know, Satan said to Jesus in the, in the, the wilderness, you know, if you be the son of God, Mm. why don't you do this? Why don't you turn this, these rocks into loaves of bread? You know, he challenged his identity over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. you know, well, Jesus, if you're the son of God, you know, and that's what he's doing to us today. You know, and he's got most of us just in a tailspin all the time yeah. because, you know, we're listening to the wrong voice. And yeah. so, I, you know, I think that's the answer. I think that as I believe the truth about me revealed in who Jesus is and who he created me to be, that I will see the truth about others, no matter what they look like at in their worst circumstances, on their worst day, you know, when when they are looking terrible, I'm going to say, but God, that's not who you made them to be. The only reason they're behaving like that is because they're believing a lie that has gotten put on them. And Jesus, you came to get the lie off them and get them back to where they were made to be. Mm. Mm. And I'll start to see their value. And I won't, you know, at that point, I won't do anything to diminish that. You know, I won't feel in, impelled, you know, uh, you know, to, to shame them or to try and correct them, you know, through, you know, some of those tactics. Yeah. You know, I'll yeah. see what they are and and I'll want to restore them to that value because that's what Jesus is doing with us. He's restoring us and I'll want to be an agent of restoration. Amen. Amen. You know, Paul said in Second Corinthians five that, you know, we have been reconciled to Christ. The love of Christ compels us. And he says, yes. now, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. So that's right. Exactly. We don't look at them as 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 those in the flesh. We look at those as those who are valued, loved, broken yeah. at the same right. time. And man, I just had an experience yesterday where I was uh, returning some bottles and cans and I was standing in line waiting for them to come collect them. And this guy just came up. He just, he drove up, he came out with his cans, never seen him in my life. He just launched into without like, as, as though we were best friends, just complaining about the roads and we pay all this money to the government and, and, you know, they should be paying us to get our car alignments done. And man, you know, all these people from away moving here to Maine and it's not like it used to be. And don't talk to me about the government. And I was like, Oh my goodness, man, here's this guy like (laughs) launching into this. He doesn't know me from Adam, but man, my heart was so sad for him. I just said, you know, what has happened to this man that, you know, he just, this is where he's gone. Um, where, you know, he just feels, so overwhelmed that he's willing to just unleash on a stranger. You know, he wasn't yelling at me, but he was <laughs> please listen to my complaints. And uh-huh. when I left, man, I, I kind of felt bad because I wish I had kind of, I just kind of listened and nodded and, you know, said, yeah, you know, it's too bad. I wish I had left him with some hope, but um, mm. anyway, that's just, yeah. So many people are hurting so much because they don't understand their value. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's so true. You don't know your value and you don't know, you know, where you're headed and, mm. and what the purpose of your life is. It's like, man, we have to come up with a purpose. We have to come up with an identity. We just can't live without one. Mm-hmm. You know, the question is, you know, is it the right one? Is it the one yeah. that's going to bring life? 
you know, and freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, Mike, man, thank you so much. This has been really good. I threw you a couple curveballs, but you hit them out of the park. So, um, of oh, course, my, my constant question is when you guys will be moving back to Bangor, but uh, God's timing is is uh, is perfect. So we won't Amen. pass too Amen. much about that. <laughs> <laughs> and if not, yeah. if not. Bangor now, maybe in the Earth Made New, will will be yeah. at, at the very least at that point. There you go. Yeah. yeah. As one of my one of my good friends and mentors says, heaven's gonna be a happy place. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking a few moments from your schedule and uh, you know, being with me on the on the program and uh really appreciate it. We'll look forward to no, I- I appreciate it. It was awesome. Yeah, we'll look forward to talking again soon and give my regards to your lovely wife. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Guys, thank you for listening to the show today. Hope you were blessed. I know I was. And uh, yeah, my one appeal to you, like Mike said, see yourself as Jesus sees you. That will transform the way you see others as well. And uh, that's what the world needs. That's what God is longing to do. So. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch up with you again next time on Mission Lab. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogay. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.